Psalms 144 and verse 1, it says, Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. On today's episode, we got Paul Yurkin. Um, we're going to get in deep about some really cool stuff. Hope you guys join us. Let's go. Coming to you live and in living color from the bunker in Conway, South Carolina. I'm George Kyle, and this is Violence and Jesus, where we talk about the Warrior Society and their walk with Christ. I want to dive deep with dangerous men and their walks with the Lord, how they got there, and what it takes to change. Come with us. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Bunker. This is Violence Jesus with your host, George Kite. Man, I'm super excited about what we got going on today. I got Paul Yurkin in the office, and we're going to get into some talks, man, about some some violence and some Jesus. I'm super excited to have him. Mr. Paul Yurkin is a former Marine. He uh, worked at uh, Camp David as a presidential security guard. He had 15 and a half years with Myrtle Beach Police, including street crimes, drug unit, gang unit, and worked on the Federal Marshals Task Force and got some SWAT experience as well. He's got a degree in criminal justice, been worked some private security in Afghanistan, and wrote a book, Memoirs of a Security Contractor. He's also happened to be a servant of God. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Yurkin. Good morning, sir. How you doing, brother? Man, I'm, I'm awesome, brother. How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I'm glad for you to be here today, man. Me too, brother. Thank you. Uh, you and I, we met, uh, I think about a year or two years ago, at the uh, the Veterans Walk on Memorial Day here in Myrtle Beach. Um, we were, uh, it was, I believe it was uh, during COVID when they shut down everything and they tried to t- tell us we couldn't go and walk. Yes, sir. And we all got together and ended up having one of the biggest crowds we had in a while. 21st North and Ocean Boulevard. That's it. Yes, and, sir. Uh, I remember that. And we all we all walked in the height of the uh, at the beginning of the uh, twenty twenty pandemic. Um, and it was a good walk, and I love that. Uh, I love it because um, you know it, uh, the city of Myrtle Beach at the time. You know, I guess they were doing what every other municipality and um, quote unquote political leadership at the time was doing. They were trying to keep everybody locked indoors and all that kind of crap. And um, in the past. Uh, I feel personally that they have failed the uh, veterans in our community from time to time. And for those of you who aren't familiar, here in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, uh, our Memorial Day is a bike weekend. Uh, They have a huge bike rally and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of times that overshadows Memorial Day. And I think uh, Mr. Yerkin will uh, agree with me that a lot of veterans, especially the ones that we know passed on, I mean, they're down for some cookout you know, and they're down for yes, some, sir. Their beach time, and they wouldn't mind that. But, um, you know, even though you're out celebrating and stuff like that, there's guys like me and Paul, we'd like to take those moments and uh, kind of, uh, you know, think about those guys. So that's that's where I met you, uh, Paul. And, uh, man, you're an awesome dude, man. You're doing a lot of stuff. You're super busy. <laughs> uh, you and I were talking before we started here. You're a busy guy. So, uh, and we found out we got some stuff in common. So let's start with uh, a long, long time ago in a place far, far away, little Yurkin decided he was going to join the Marine Corps. Uh, what year was this? Oh, my goodness. That was uh, – good morning, man. That's an honor <laughs> to be here too, man. Yeah, man. Wow, that seems like uh, another time. So that was – I was getting called – I was in 12th grade, getting called by recruiters. You know how it is. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to fill their quotas. Getting called by the army, so I go down. I take the ASVAB for the army, and I fail it twice because <laughs> I don't do tests. I got you. So I bomb it, 
And um, so I'm all poopy pants, you know, and I'm like, all right, whatever. God, you know, what else you have for me? Wasn't really talking to God at the time. I was doing my own thing. Yeah. <clears throat> so as the second time I fail it, I pass under, I'm at the VA building in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. And this building is like 10, 12 stories. It's huge. So they had these big wooden doors with obviously the glass windows in the top. Right. And I ducked under the window of the Marine Corps because I didn't want them to see me. <laughs> in the hallway and trying to snatch me up. Yeah. I ducked under. I go home. Months pass. Phone keeps ringing. Hey, Sergeant So-So, United States Marine Corps. Is Paul home? Well, I kept saying, no, no, no. Paul's not here. So this guy gets really smart. Calls one day. <coughs> and he says, I answer the phone. He says, hey, Paul, how you doing? I said, hey, man, what's going on? He <laughs> says, Sergeant So-So, United States Marine Corps. I was like, ah, you got me. <laughs> So yeah. I go down. Yeah. I like what I heard. They said, hey, uh, you know, your background, you have a uh, opportunity. You can guard the president. I said, the president of what? <laughs> they said, the United States. Yeah. I said, oh, roger that. So uh, I go through the MEPS program, sign my name 34 times. Yeah. I'm off to boot camp. Yeah. And then toward the end of boot camp, the men in black show up. Yeah. And they start interviewing me, NIS. Uh-huh. And uh, next thing you know, I'm at uh, Camp David, Gardner President. That's it. <laughs> There's a lot in between there, but that's really weird. Cause uh, so when I was when I was a young kid, and I I went to go join the Marines. I was actually 17. My parents signed for me because yeah. I was the opposite of you. I really wanted to leave, but I'm from Conway, and so <laughs> all of you people who know where Conway is, I was living off a dirt road, right? Living that life, and so anything to get out of Conway, <laughs> I didn't care what it was. So I was a horrible recruit because I looked. I went straight to the recruiters. I looked, bud. I, you don't need to take me out to eat. I don't need no free T-shirts. I'm trying to join the Marines to get out of here. And he was like, what? Yes, sir. All right. And I was like, cool. Hey, I turned 17 on this date. Uh, you know, come to the house. I talked to my parents. They're going to sign the papers. So, so my parents signed me away. And so my dad tells the recruiter, he's like, well, I don't want him to be an instrument. He's like, I don't want him to be a foot soldier. I want him to actually do something. And so the guy's like, all right, well, we could talk about maybe doing MPs or something. And so I get the recruiter alone. I'm like, bro, I'm going infantry. I said, whatever you got to do is give me an infantry. Well, apparently, uh, my sister had uh, dated my older sister had dated one of the recruiters back when they were younger, right? So, like, uh, she he got doing us a family favor, I guess. Right. And so, uh, he let me go infantry, but he signed me up for Yankee White, which nice. is what you're talking about. It's the presidential security stuff. And so, same. I mean, uh, you know, I think we I went to boot camp probably ten years difference between you and I, and the same thing. I mean. Uh, I, they don't tell you like the process. No. So you're in boot camp getting hazed and thrashed like everybody else, and then all of a sudden these dudes show up, these That's civilians, right. and they're That's like, right. "We got to talk to you." Like, <laughs> uh, you know, and you're like, I, I, "I returned all those late library books, I swear." But uh, yeah, they bring you to a room, they question you, ask you all these different questions, and it's uh, you know they ask you like for me, they ask me for like my tenth grade math teacher. Shout out to Mr. Austin uh, at Conway High School and. I don't even think – I think they just bum-rushed these people. I mean, they asked they asked several people in my graduating class how they knew me and what they did, blah, blah, blah. And then I know Mr. Austin, they wouldn't ask him my disposition and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, they kind of just go and ask all these people and do this massive background check. And, uh, you know, um, as a, the one thing that I did like was that all the, all the guys who were up there um, are all infantry guys by trade. Right. And um, I, I spent time at the Marine Barracks before I went to Camp Day. That's right. 
So uh, I got I got stuck up there for a little while, but uh, that's pretty cool, man. Uh, a lot of people don't know that side of the Marine Corps, the Yankee White program, and um, uh, it was a uh, what do you call it? Uh, <laughs> it was a, a learning experience to say the least. It truly is, and you know what? Like you uh, mentioned about the tenth grade, so I'm at home on on recruiter's duty, and knock at the door, two guys in black suits, yeah, and one guy says, "Are you Paul Yurkin?" I said, yes, sir. He goes, you need to leave. I'm okay. in my own home. Yeah, yeah. I said, roger that. Mom and dad were in the house. I get in my car. I drive off. So they had another follow car. So this guy's following me around town yeah, yeah, just yeah. to see where I'm going. Yeah. So because I know my town, I lose him. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, next thing you know, I'm at 8th uh, and I doing my training. Yeah. And then you get what's called your Cat 1. Yeah. Category 1 clearance. Yeah. Uh, and then you head to Camp David and do your thing. And, you know, it's... Uh, it was a great experience. Yeah. And uh, so I was there for Bush Jr. Yes. So I was there for uh, younger Bush. I was Reagan and Bush Sr. <laughs> Old man Bush. <laughs> what is, uh, what is, he's, what is he? He's George H. Bush. George, yeah. And there's George W. Bush. That's correct. That's right. Yeah. I was George W. Bush. I actually like the guy. Uh, I always tell people that George W. Bush was like, I don't know, like your, like your, Redneck uncle got president, just accidentally became president. Because this dude was that's a true story. This dude was super. I mean, he was super down to earth. Um, you know, I mean, his dad was like that. He served us in the chow hall a time or two. Like he would. I mean, right? He gave me mashed potatoes. I was joking about people like, "Hey, you gave me mashed potatoes one time," and like he always was trying to get us to like go and hang out with him. You know, and as a marine, especially us, we're all like E twos and E threes, the one who's actually doing all the work, and he's trying to come out and hang out with us. And as a E three, you're freaking out. Yes, sir. Because they say crap rolls downhill. Well, he's the top of the hill. Like right, people don't right. realize. Like he's Mount Everest of hills. Like you don't want to be in the military and upset the president of the United States. Like as a E two E three, that's a long way for stuff. I love to the fall analogy. Over. He is the Mount Everest of the hill. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, you, you, if you upset him or do something to get him out of him. Uh, so there was a story when I was there that there was some uh, Navy guy who was like some kind of assistant to the assistant, to the assistant, and he was driving a um, a golf cart or something, and he backed up and almost hit George Bush's little dog, that little collie. Right. My man was gone that quick. Is that right? They let, they took him. I guess he they put him back to the fleet. They were wow. like, bye, bud. Wow. You know, so uh, anyway, that's weird. So uh, how long did, were you up at uh, Camp David? Uh, let's see. Did you uh, do the full two-year uh, tour? A year and a half, I was a up year there. Year and a half, and then uh, you know, Desert Storm kicked off. So you got your presidential cookie. Oh yes, I do. That's cool. Got two of them. That's cool. Nice, yes, sir. That's cool. And uh, so, so I pushed out to the fleet to Desert Storm, Fifth Marines. Yes, Man, sir. You got lucky, dude. You, you have. I mean, you and I have such a weird, similar story because when I was there was when Iraq was popping off, and I left to go to Iraq. I didn't get my good cook, my uh, presidential cookie. You didn't get one. No, I was there. I was. I wasn't there long enough. They let me go. They asked for volunteers. You know, it was wow. Uh, it was Operation Iraqi Freedom was kicking off, and um, uh, if you remember right, we didn't, we were bringing in well, so they're bringing in a lot of bodies back then. True story. Post nine yeah. eleven, they were pretty pretty much taking, a lot of reservists. People were signing up to fight. They were bringing in people yes, sir. left and right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was. Good. But we, yeah, we got a similar story. So you you go out, you kick out to uh, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia for Desert Storm. What was that like as an infantry marine? Um, wow. Well, I'll tell you something. Story. It was absolutely foreign to me because, you know, every every Marine is a rifleman. Yeah. Every single one. doesn't matter if you're admin, you're a cook. doesn't matter. Everybody is a trigger puller. Right. So I get out to the fleet, 
and I forgot my land nav skills. <laughs> Forgot all this stuff. You know, I'm yeah. out there. I'm foreign. I'm a corporal, thank God. Yeah. Go to the fleet as a corporal NCO. So I, I get out there and I I push out to Fifth Marines. And then I was rear our rear security. So we met the initial element in uh, Desert of Oman. Okay. Jabail area. All right. So we meet up, get on the Tarawa, and I find the gunny and for our, our section. And I walk up to him and I said, hey, Gunny, you know, I've been in security yeah. my entire career. Yeah. I said, so my infantry skills are lacking. I apologize. And he brings in the senior Lance Corporal. And I said, I want to relinquish my squad to him. Yeah. And I, I want to learn so I don't get anybody killed. He looks at me and he goes, are you serious? I said, yes, Gunny, I am. He goes, that was, you know, pretty admirable. That's pretty Jam up, you don't hear of that. Yeah. So he brings in this Lance Corporal, the guys just jam up. He says, he's still your NCO, he's still your corporal, you still answer to him, but you're going to run the squad under him. He says, Roger that. So that's what happened. So I get out there, we're in the desert of Oman. I got some gear in my pack that's jingling around, so I try to cut it off. Yeah. And the bayonet, which is made for jabbing, not slicing. Yeah. I cut my uh my gear off, it goes through my wrist. Oh. And I almost cut my hand off. Good Lord. Accidental. Yeah. So my corporal that was near me sees it happen. He's like, oh my goodness. I mean, I had to bang. I had to wedge it out of my wrist. Good Lord. <clears throat> so when I get back on the Tarawa, they think I tried to commit suicide. <laughs> okay. So they don't know that the corporal was there and seen it. Yeah, yeah. So they're all trying to, you know, make sure I'm not crazy and stuff. So finally, corporal gets back on the ship. He's like, no, 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 no. He's good. He's good. He's good. He just, I saw what happened. And um, so anyway, I got a permanent injury from that accidental and um, I got pushed out. So a couple months on the ship and went back to uh, CONUS, the continental United States and served out the rest of my time at fifth Marines doing some security stuff for, it was called the CMCC classified material control clerk. Yeah. 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 Basically my office was a vault in a vault Yeah. and anything top secret and above came through me. I deciphered it, gave it to the Colonel. Yeah. So it was, you talk about the hill of George Bush. Yeah, yeah. It was the colonel. Yeah. Then Paul Yurkin. Yeah, yeah. And then everybody else. Yeah. And that was awesome. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So, uh, so uh, how long? How much longer did you stay in the Marine Corps? You just did a four year tour and then ride out. I did four years. So it was a year later after Desert Storm. I served that last year at Fifth Marines, of course, back in my unit, and uh, you know, doing the uh, classified material stuff. Where's your uh, hometown? Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Yes, sir. Did you go back home? I did not. Okay. <laughs> Where'd you end up? Uh, you get out of the Marine Corps. You Myrtle Beach. You 14 and you head on down to Myrtle Beach. I made some contacts while I was here on leave. Yeah. And uh, so this is an awesome story. So I'm on the flight coming back or, or going to Myrtle Beach on leave. I was dating a girl at the time. And <clears throat> excuse me. It's all good. I'm sitting all the way back in the, in the nosebleed seats. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I go to the bathroom. I come back and my gear is gone. I'm like, what just happened? I'm on a flight. Who steals your gear on a flight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the flight attendant comes to me and she says, sir, we moved your stuff up in first class. Nice. And I said, I'm not sitting in first class. She goes, you are today, sir. Nice. So all the way back, they sent me next to the uh, president of Grand Strand Hospital. His name was Jim Adori. I think wow. he passed. I'm not sure. Um, great guy. And so he and I started talking just happenstance. You know, God knew what he was doing. Yeah. God had set this up from the from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. 
That's crazy. And I'm sitting talking to this guy. They wanted security for their ER. Uh-huh. I hand him a resume that I happen to have on me. Wow. And he hires me right there in first class. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yes, that was yeah. great. So how long did you work there before you Two got Two and on? a half years at the hospital. Okay. I put in for Myrtle Beach Police a couple of times. Failed, failed, yeah. failed. Wasn't getting it. Always wanted to be a police officer. Yeah. So. Where were you failing? You were failing a written test? No, actually, they didn't have a written test. Okay. So what they had was the interviews. Right. You know, when you're a Marine, you say stupid things yeah, and yeah, get yeah, cocky yeah, yeah. and you think that the world falls on, yeah. on you and it doesn't. It does not. It doesn't. And well, the worst part is the filter because like uh, I even catch myself sometimes like you get in a conversation, not so much about the cussing and stuff, but just being crass and blunt. like decent. Yeah, blunt, not sensitive. You just say what's on your mind. And the funny thing is guys <laughs> like you and I, like I've realized that with the, the church security team here is that we – we kind of thrive on that. Like, I need you to be blunt sometimes. I don't need that. I don't need you to beat around the bush, to beat around the bush, to beat around the bush so you can get back to tell me that I'm jacked up. I need you to look at me in the face and say, hey, man, you messed up. You know what I mean? I need to hear that I'm jacked up. I want to know all of my debilitating characters, all of my characteristics, and all of my character. I want you to tell me to my yeah. face, Yurkin, you're jacked up. I'll respect you Yeah, more. Way more. Way more. It's weird because culture and society now is completely against it. Completely against it. Don't tell me what's wrong. I want to know what's wrong. I need you to accept what's wrong with me. And that's exactly (laughs) right. I put on Facebook a while ago, and I put on to some of my friends that I honor and I know and I trust, and I actually called them up. So I put on Facebook, but I also called them, and I said, hey, I'm reading this book, uh, John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Leadership Skills. Okay. And I said, and I want to know... What are my defaults? Excuse me. What are my faults and character so I can fix those? Yeah. I want to know what's wrong with me. Right. Everybody tell me, please. So I put it out there. The only thing that my friends that I trust that are really, really intelligent guys, really uh, knuckle draggers have been there, pulled the trigger, said, you're too blunt. (laughs) True story. That is the only character flaw that they Uh, came up with. And I was wanting him to reach. I said, listen, I... I didn't bring my feelings to this conversation, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. let it out. Yeah, and that was it. So uh, you're uh, you're on these you're in these interviews, and uh, you're being a regular Marine jarhead. You uh, the world was designed and built for you, and you're probably at the time you were probably uh, you know you're probably in your prime, good looking, in shape. You probably could. You know. I used to be good looking. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> uh, me too. Trust me, brother. Uh, before before kids, and uh, but anyways, uh, you were. Standing tall, and you probably you probably being a little bit too blunt. So yeah, I was a stud. Yeah. Eventually, they uh, they take you. Eventually, they take me. So yeah. they um, I pass the interview. I get on as the auxiliary program. Right now, I got to give a shout out to my boy Scott Puckett. Yeah, he and I came on together. We did the auxiliary program together, and you know Scott's a stud. Dude, you you guys were rookies together. We were rookies together. Wow. Yeah, we went to the academy together. Good we were Lord. rookies together. I hope y'all weren't in the same section together, se- sector of the city together. Um, no, we weren't. So he was on Beach Patrol, <laughs> like he had on his podcast. Oh, that's he said, right. I was on Beach Patrol, yeah. and I went to the waterfront. So the waterfront was the jungle. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's where we had 20, 25 officers working every single night. Yeah. And you fought every single night. Yeah, yeah. And I loved it. I was one of the fastest guys on the boulevard. Yeah. So my corporal would always say that I was his canine officer. Yeah. <laughs> and he would shoot me out of the golf cart. He'd make me chase guys. Yeah. And I would run past these um, suspects yeah. and ask him, whenever you're done running, you know, we 
We can do it. Just yeah. stop running. And they so, look at me. So for those of y'all who aren't familiar, uh, Myrtle Beach uh, here in South Carolina is on the East Coast. And uh, we have uh, what we call the Boulevard. Locally, it's called Boulevard, and it's called Ocean Boulevard. And it's literally a two-lane street uh, that is borders the ocean. So you Correct. see the ocean. You go past all the tourist attractions. And a long time ago, they used to have an amusement park down there. And there used to be bars and clubs and Back in the day, our spring break uh, scene was huge here, massive, yes, and you're talking about all kinds of debauchery and illegal illegal stuff. And the one problem is Camp Lejeune and <laughs> and and Bragg are Fort both Jackson, within our, Bragg, the, the, the Fort Jackson, uh, Charleston Air Force Base, Charleston Navy Base. Everything is within three hours. Yes, sir. So not only do you have the regular people who come here for vacation, but we had a lot of Marines, a lot of a lot of airmen. Oh my goodness! There used to be an Air Force Base. True it, story. In Myrtle Beach. That's right. So imagine uh, thousands, because even back, uh, it kind of it slowed down after I first joined the Marines. Right about when, by the time I got out in like 06, 07, I, I believe is because there was a, a shooting uh, by a police officer. Some guy pulled a gun on the boulevard, some crazy crap, and Myrtle Beach shut that whole thing down. Because it used to be crazy. I mean, you know. I mean, we used to jump from truck to car to car, and you'd hang out with the doors open. And yes, sir. A lot of that, you know, the police would turn you know blind eye to it because they, I guess, you saw us as a bunch of kids just kind of have fun. But then it got crazy. It got out of hand. Like it got out of hand. And so, uh, imagine basically a rolling party. That's the best way to explain it. A rolling party for what five miles, six miles? That is an. Absolute accurate depiction. That's, it was a rolling party. That's and what it was. I always tell people that it's Mardi Gras with cars. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. And you try to holler at other girls and the cars passing, and you'd hope that you see them again. And everybody who's from here remembers that. I mean, that's oh, what we my did. Oh, goodness, man. You talk to girls in other cars when they drive by. You hope you see them again. You pull over. Y'all hang out. Um, there was waffle. Uh, there was uh, breakfast places that was open 24-7. Yes, you stop and get some breakfast. Uh I mean, it was just plus, you know, you're driving past an amusement park and these like, uh, you know, T-shirts, all this fun stuff. And yeah, man, it got out of hand. It got well, out what of we hand. did is every single night we would have bets on who can make the most arrests <laughs> every single night. So you had sectors. Yeah. So each officer, it was two officers per sector. Yeah. And then you had like a three block sector. Yeah. And you worked from Ocean Boulevard, Flag Street, and then Chester Street. How far is that? Um. Actually, it's uh, three blocks by three blocks. Okay, so not bad. So, and it was it was all foot patrol. Yeah, you did everything on foot unless you were lucky enough to have a golf cart. Right, and um, yeah. So we we would have bets, and there was two, there was two, uh, a support vans. Right, right. And they were jail vans. Yeah, on each side, one on the north side, one on the south side. Paddy wagons, paddy wagons on the boulevard. That's it. And they worked. So what we would do is we would see. Someone acting a fool, yep. lock them up. Yep. Lock Because you had to control. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about how much money can the city make. You had to do some type of control because if you let it go out of hand and let people do what they wanted, then you're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, yeah. Then you're talking about just unbelievable control that you did not have. I think a lot of people understand that. I mean, you get like one hype dude in a crowd of 100 and you get – you multiply that by 10, 12, 20. Exactly right. And then you have thousands of people going buck wild all at the same time. And that's what happened yeah. every single night in the summer. That's exactly what happened. And you need guys down there that weren't afraid. Yeah. Who can handle themselves. Yep. Not not just physically. Yeah. But also, you know, 
you can talk someone into handcuffs. You're not going to fight everybody. Verbal judo. Verbal judo was yeah. a must down Verbal there. Verbal judo. And so that's what we did. So we did that every single night. Yeah. And then we did that for the whole summer. And then if you were lucky enough to make a good impression, at the end of the summer, they would hire you full time. Yeah, okay. Well, apparently... I was like third. I, I didn't make it again. I failed. I failed again and I didn't make it. So I wound up working for just some retail shops. Right. And one day I get a phone call and it was, um, one of the lieutenants who was doing background checks. Yeah. And I give a shout out to Chuck cap. He's a retired now. Very, very dear friend of mine. And he calls me up and he says, Hey, uh, Paul, we have a hat down here at the police department. Do you want it? I said, I left a hat down there. He goes, do you want a job? <laughs> I said, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I said, I got to give my job two weeks notice. You know, I can't just quit. Yeah. He goes, that's admirable. Two weeks notice. I was, uh, got hired on. Me and Scott walked in together. Yeah. We got hired on as full-time as Myrtle Beach Police. Yeah. We went to the academy together. Nice. Yes, sir. Nice. I think it was a little bit, we talked about it. It's different. It was different back then. And uh, you guys are the Rodney King era, and I was True. the Michael Brown era. True. So for me, it was uh, body cams and uh, fear of litigation, constant fear of litigation. But uh, so you become a Myrtle Beach police officer, and you're, you're kind of doing that thing. Um, you're kind of grinding. For those of y'all who don't know, a patrol officer, I always tell people this, probably one of the hardest, they are the hardest working people in the police department. Yes, sir. Those guys who have to call, come to your house when you call 911 and you know, I've got a lot of friends who are state troopers and uh, Burgos, man, I love you, but uh, state troopers aren't cops. They're not what we call police officers. The guy, I always said the guy who, when you call 911, the guy who shows up to your house, that's a cop, right? That's, True that's story. a police officer, right? True story. So uh, state troopers are just state troopers here in South Carolina. I, I think everywhere else they call them uh, state police. State police, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, um, sorry if I hurt your feelings, Burgos. You're a Marine. You'll be all right. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, uh, me and him's got a weird story too. He, he, me and him served together and accidentally got uh, uh recalled, uh, involuntary recalled back to the Marine Corps after wow. we both got out. That's unheard of. And he moved to Myrtle Beach from Maryland. And uh, the last time I'd seen him was in California. And I had no clue he was here. And both of us end up on the 15 passenger van on the way to Myrtle Beach after we got orders to be recalled the Marine Corps. But that's a story for another time. I had to get him in here. But uh, so. As a police officer, that grind, man, that's the toughest part of the job, showing up to people, doing calls for service. And I kind of talked about it with Scott. Like, you literally go from a cat in a tree to a dude who's, you know, chopped in half or shot or in a horrible car accident. And you're trying to peel him off the pavement. And that mind, that mind limbo that you play where you mentally have to compartmentalize these things. You see this thing, and then you immediately go to this thing, and then you go to lunch, and you eat a bologna sandwich, and then next thing you know, you're back in the trenches. And then you have to go home at the end of the day and act like everything is okay. Like none of that stuff bothered you for the day. So it's a very tough job, but how long were you on the grind before you got to pick up some of these specialty uh, teams like uh, street gang, street crimes and uh, gang task force and all that kind of stuff? That's a great question. So it was probably about 10 years. Wow. So because we had such – nobody was leaving at the time. So we, we had a major influx. We had right. about 25 officers leave okay. when I got hired. And uh, so we had a major influx. Then we started building our force back. But then when that happens, you have all these hard chargers – or biding for these spots. Yeah, yeah. So 
you know, I wasn't, I was very vocal. Um, I got me in trouble a lot. Yeah. But I was also the guy that would travel 30 blocks to come save you when you were screaming for help. Same. I would leave two sectors yeah. to come. And I was normally the first one on the scene because, you know, I was a knucklehead and um, I drove like, you know, if, if you asked for help, I didn't care. I drove. Now, I, I didn't hurt anyone. I, I, I used due caution driving. Yeah. But if you asked for help on the radio and you were screaming on the radio, and for those of you who have never heard a police officer screaming on the radio for help, go to YouTube, yeah. listen to it. It's very scary. It's heart-wrenching. It's heart-wrenching. So, so the word on the street is that uh, Myrtle Beach isn't allowed to go, but like 10 or 12 miles over the speed miles. limit. So, so the speed limit in Myrtle Beach is what, 25 miles an hour? It's 30 miles an hour where it's posted. Okay, so you can do 40. Yes, with your lights on. That is stupid. When I was doing it, I, I think my top speed when an officer yelled for help, I think I was doing 130. Yeah, well, and that's the problem. You have to break policy, and then they got to bring you in the office. And nothing happened because that was well, when uh, Joe McGarry was uh, shot and killed in the line of duty 2001. Oh, man. And uh, we were on, me and my buddy Steve Abbott, he's uh, my former partner, and now he's in Texas doing his thing. Um, great guy. Yeah. And he and I were 27 South in Kings Highway. Wow. And when we heard the call come out, we went from 27 South, where we eventually became vehicle number two. So those of you who don't know in pursuits, you have the primary vehicle, and then you have the secondary vehicle, who is the radio person. He calls out everything. Calls out everything. So the primary vehicle, all they do is concentrate on driving. Yep. The second vehicle concentrates. The guy in the passenger seat takes over the radio. Obviously, the guy driving drives. Yep. So that really tested my skills that night. And you know, we got there. Like I said, I, I busted 130. Um, I'm not proud, uh, but I'm not upset about it either because when your brother or your sister calls for help, 100%. you break everything you can to get there. Now you want to do it safely because then you have a wreck on a wreck. Right. right. So we, we get there and we, we, we take care of business. Um, and it, it, that was probably one of the saddest days of my career. Yeah. But you, um, I digress. You talk about different calls. I yeah. actually was in a tree getting a cat out. <laughs> See, yeah. One night, yeah. it was at the top of the tree, and lady goes, "My cat's in a tree. Can you go get it?" Yeah. And I look up, and this kitten was in the farthest, topmost part of the tree. <laughs> and I'm a young stud, you know, yeah. so I get up, I get all my gear on now, you know, my belt, my gun, all these yeah. things, and so I'm climbing this tree, and people are taking videos. They so the cat, the video phone wasn't prevalent. No, it right was, now, no, yeah. it wasn't. It was the old Nokia's that were like a yeah. brick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I climbed the tree. This cat, I put it on my back. And it's scratching my neck, and I'm climbing under the tree with it. And then my next call was a shooting. Yeah, that, yeah. that's crazy how that happens. <laughs> that's crazy. And it's weird for, like, us combat veterans because, like you say, like, if I explain to my buddies, like, hey, imagine your friend gets shot, like you said, and technically I'm not supposed to get there quickly. Technically, right? Technically I'm not supposed to do everything in my power to get to you or – um, cause, because what I mean by that is that these police departments write these policies to save themselves from lawsuits, lawsuits. And for instance, if you was to get an accident while you were pursuing that guy, they'll try to, some, I'm not saying specifically Myrtle beach. I'm not specifically saying any, any police department, but potentially they could use that and say, well, well, our policy says that he should only do 10 miles over the speed limit. He chose to do 130. And since he injured that person, he's civilly liable. Correct. Not the PD. Correct. And so that's what they do. And I, I, I can't argue one way or the other because I can see where it protects them. 
when uh, you do have cops who do stupid things, but when you're in the protection of others and yourself, um, there has to be exigent circumstances where you're like, you know what, I'll allow it. And I think at the time you had a chief that was like that. So what when this happened, the sergeant on duty says on the radio, I'm not going to mention his name, but he says on the radio, you will do everything possible to catch that vehicle because he just shot one of our officers. Yeah. And so when we heard that, I mean, there's only supposed to be two vehicles in a chase. Yeah. We had like four or five vehicles chasing this guy. Yeah. And coming from 27th Avenue South and catching this guy at 72nd Avenue North in the bypass. How many miles is that? How many miles? Wow. Well, every 15 blocks is a mile. Right. So if whatever the math is, whatever the math is, um, do that. And we wound up catching him. I didn't know who we shot at the time. Yeah. So when I learned who we shot at the time, I just, I broke down. I lost it. You know, yeah. uh, the it's human tough. element came in and it's tough. Yeah. Tough to swallow. Yes, sir. I, uh, I had a call like that. Um, shots fired call from my buddy and he happened to be a former Marine. Both, both of us were working for the County at the time. And, uh, I tell this story cause it's funny. I had one of that crappy 1994 crown Vic that oh, yeah. was hurting to do. It felt like, uh, it felt like the shuttle re- re-entering the atmosphere <laughs> if you go faster than 85, like everything shakes. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. So I think I was doing like 120, but then my uh, supervisor, my sergeant at the time, was driving a brand-new Dodge Charger, and I know that dude blew by me like I was sitting still. I, I, I was doing 120, and I think he hit 140. I think it has 156 on the dash. He was doing all of it, but blew past me. And, uh, man, driving fast is one of those things that just, especially in a Crown Vic, that's scary. That it was the crap it, out of me. Because it floats. Yeah, it floats. When it, when it starts to go that fast, it tends to float. Now, they had this thing under called an interceptor package. Yeah. So the faster you go, it's supposed to lower to the ground, yeah, and yeah. it did. Yeah. But it still floated. So still when, you, when you do a certain miles an hour, it, it floats. And um, anyway, so uh, that got, you know, we, we took care of that. And then um, I finished out, you know, I, I did my career. We got, um, we me and my buddy, I formed a gang unit, and nice. then that that took off, and that went done really, really well. And then inside the gang unit, we were deputized as uh, task force for U.S. Marshals. Yeah. So we got to hook up with that, so that took place. And then through that, we were on a street crimes unit. Right. So anybody that knows a street crimes unit, it's guys in plain clothes doing high volumes of high crime. Yeah. We go out there, and we're in plain clothes, playing cars, and we are very, very, very reactive. Excuse me. No, we're proactive. Proactive. We go out there and find crime almost like before it happens, but during, as it's happening. Yeah. We are in it. Yeah. And then after that happened, um, you know, I couldn't change what was going on. There was a lot of dissension, a lot of things going on at the police department. I'm not going to talk bad about it. There was a lot of great things in the Myrtle Beach Police that I, I really love. Um, some things that were done personal to me. Some that I did on my own that it was my fault and yeah. I take full responsibility for. And um, so when that happened, that's when the security contracting was kicking up really, really bad. Wow. Or really well, I should say. Yeah. And a lot of my friends are like, hey, I'm over here. You know, Scott was one of them. A bunch of other my friends are like, hey, man, you know, with your background, you could do this, this, this. Well, I have twin girls at the time. Still have them, obviously. And I didn't want to leave them because they were young and they needed their dad. Right. So one day, you know, opportunity came up and I checked with my girls. I said, hey, this is what's going on. This is what it's all about. What do you think? And I never forget this. My girls are like, dad, you're Superman. You can do anything. Aww. And I said, Roger, that. I said, so you, you good to go with me going over to Afghanistan? 
And they said, yes, dad, we, we, I mean, they were very mature. So I busted out, went with a dying core. Nice. Great security company. Went to Afghanistan and uh, was probably one of the best times of my life. Extremely, we get shot every day, every single day. It was <laughs> yeah. rockets, AK rounds, whatever. I was uh, training Afghan police. Yeah. So Afghan police, they have the mentality. These guys are carrying AK-47s, PKMs, and which is a big machine gun. And they have the mentality of probably a three-year-old. Yeah. That's not knocking them down. That's exactly what the yeah. reference is. Yeah. And so we were having to train them to be police. Yeah. So we did that, and that was interesting. I was embedded with the 101st Airborne. Okay. At an Sabari. Uh, shout out to the Rakasans. And, uh, nice. I made some great, great brothers. Cool. Uh, from there, I did some personal uh, personal security with um, DynCorp's executives. Nice. That was in Kabul. Okay. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. And, uh, you know, talking about we – so we were – as other contracting firms were in Hiluxes and indigenous vehicles and right, dressing right, right. as the indigenous. Yeah. We didn't. <laughs> that was Don Corps policy. We, we drove around in F two fifties with big whip antennas and, yeah, yeah. you know, up armored cars. And we, we stood out like, Hey, shoot me. I'm an American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, it was, it was very interesting. So, um, while you're doing all this, uh, all this high speed stuff, where is your relationship with God? Like, um, are you, are you still, you know, are you, are you projecting it or are you just like all the rest of us knuckleheads who, who, you know, we kind of just fold it and put it away for a little while and we'll just bring it out when we feel like it's necessary. Was you kind of like that or great question? So I prayed before going over, right? I said, God, this is what I want to do. Okay. Now in that sentence is a contrast, right? God, this is what I want to do. Uh huh. So I wasn't doing at the time. I think God's will. Right. God, this is what I want to do. And I prayed this prayer, and I said, "I'm going to put in for this contract. If you don't want me to do this, I want you to block me, and I want you to send me in a different direction." Yeah. And I prayed that every single day. Yeah. Well, the recruiter for DynCorp said I was the easiest guy he had ever put through. Wow. I had all my paperwork. Every time they'd ask for paperwork, I'd have it that minute. Yeah. They get an email. I'd send them back an email with all right. the answers. Yeah. And I got my clearance really, really fast. And I was like, all right, God, if, you know, I prayed up until going to Virginia for training. Yeah. God, if this is, I kept saying, God, you know, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, he veileth much. Yeah. Kept praying, kept praying, kept praying. And next thing you know, I'm in Afghanistan. I'm still praying. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I get off the plane and I'm in the vehicle driving through Kabul. And I'm still praying, God, is this where you want me to be? Yeah. As I'm in Kabul. Yeah. And that's where he was. And I helped minister to some uh, soldiers and wow. helped them come to Christ. Nice. And um, I my my faith was only stronger. Yeah. I wasn't afraid to die. I right. wasn't a hero. I wasn't brave and nothing right. like that. Right. I was just centered with my walk with Christ. Yeah. And I, I was like, you. if you're going to take me, I'd rather you take me here with my brothers doing what I love doing. Right, right. I agree. And I think that's one thing that's really hard to convey to some people uh, who haven't done that. You know, uh, I fought the urge. I've done, you know, I think a lot of us try to uh, try to scratch that itch and, you know, we want to do it one more time and that kind of thing. And, um, um, man, that's one of those things where you go to God and sometimes the answer is no. You know, sometimes the answer is no. And 
but God's going to use you um, regardless, where, where, regardless wherever you're at. So, you know, if you end up going to Afghanistan and and, and working uh, there, God's going to use you. He's going to try to, uh, you know, reflect his love through you. And uh, hopefully, uh, man, that'd be cool. It's a cool story to to be able to talk to somebody who, uh, you know, found Christ in Afghanistan. That's a crazy, that's a crazy place. Because I'm going to tell you right now, man, prayer is such a comfort and it is. If people don't understand like the comfort of in uh, the peace, that's one of the biggest things. Peace, peace is the biggest thing because um, if you first of all, if you if you don't think that guys who are scared and those of y'all who know who've gone to combat and done things, you're scared. Yes, fear, fear is not. It's not one of those things. That if if you if you're absent fear, you're probably a sociopath. Yes, um, you're probably crazy. But you you are scared. You are. It's just how you handle it. You use the fear. You use it to make you a stronger person and make you more uh, uh, observant. Yes. Uh, make you more. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, have give yourself endurance to be able to persevere through things. And so, you know, prayer has that peace. And I just remember. I can remember times where I would just be like, you know, God, I love you. Thank you for everything. Amen. Forgive me of my sins. If today's the day, let me go in peace. Well, you know what I love about God besides everything is when God built me, he's looking around. He's like, listen, this guy, we have to watch him because he's my son's a little crazy. My my son, Paul's a little crazy. Yeah. I love you, Lord. And uh, he's a little crazy. So we're going to have to we're gonna have to keep an eye on this guy. And I think he has that conversation with his angels, with all knuckle draggers. Yeah, I think yeah. he's like, listen, yeah. you know, this guy, George, he's um <laughs> He's something special, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to put a little uh, blessing on him as think, he's doing things. I think my dad, I think my dad, my mom, and my wife would probably agree with you, hundred percent, hundred percent. And um, so you know, when I went over there and was doing my thing, you know, and I'm, he's like, all right. So Paul went and he did, he did his own thing, and he did listen to me, he did pray, but he went over there. So how can I use him in Afghanistan? And that's right. what I, and that's what I felt. Yeah. And I talked to a lot of uh, interpreters. We. We call them Terps. And these guys were just absolutely amazing. Yeah. They loved uh, the Christianity. Of course, they followed the Quran, but they yeah. loved Christianity. They taught me a lot. I learned how to speak Pashtu when I was over there, yeah. which was absolutely uh, phenomenal for a C student in high school who the guidance counselor says, Paul, you're a C student. You're not going to really amount to much. I was like, okay, Roger that. So um, I didn't listen to that, obviously. Yeah. And uh, I went and did my own thing and, God was chasing me my entire life. Yeah. And I felt it. Wow. I did. I felt it, but I was ignoring it. Yeah. I was out there doing my own thing, being worldly like everybody else. And then 2005, um, I got punched in the face by God. It hurt. <laughs> a we lot. Call, I, call that a, I call that a spiritual throat punch. A spiritual throat punch. Man, yeah. I'll tell you something. Yeah. And then he hit me again. Yeah. And so I, I got saved in 2005. Nice. Praise yeah. God. Praise God. Amen. And then in 2007... I got into another altercation and policing. Yeah. And uh, God says, are you ready to follow me now? And I said, yes, sir. Roger that. Yeah. And uh, I never looked back. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. The, the, the Muslims, it's the same with the ones in Iraq. Uh, they, they revere Christ highly. Yes. And uh, the one thing that I, that I did learn from Islam and from Muslims specifically about the Christian faith is that, those dudes are way more faithful than your average Christian. True story. Because if you ask the average Christian, like, hey, I need you right now publicly in front of everyone, get down on your knees and start praying, 90% of them would say no. That's, that's embarrassing. I wouldn't do Why would I do right. that? Right. 
But in the, in the Muslim faith, that's every day. They did prayer. So they'd have a call for prayer five times a day. Five times a day. And you'd hear the horns going off for yeah. call of prayer. Yeah. And there's a story we were on many, many times, but one in particular, we were on patrol and we're doing our thing. And we were embedded with, like I said, the 101st. Right. So embedded with us was the Afghan National Army uh-huh. and then the Afghan National Police who yeah. were trained. So when the siren would go off the, the horn for whatever village you were close to, it's called the Kalat system. Yeah. Um, they'd hear it. They'd stop on patrol. Mm-hmm. We'd have to do a perimeter and let them pray for, you know, 15, 20 seconds. Yep. And they would, you know, obviously face towards Mecca Yep. and they would pray. Their and faith they, is so strong. My goodness. Five times. It doesn't matter if you're on patrol. They, they'd stop yeah, in the middle of they, patrol. They won't even let, they won't even let the, I don't know what you would call it. The man, the professional, like, like for us, we'd be like, well, we're just too professional. It's too professional for me to stop right now and start praying. Correct. You know, or, or, or I don't know, whatever it is, but. You know, the idea that, like, think back. Think, I want you guys to think about being at work and everyone collectively prays together. That would be awesome. At a certain time every day. Like, you guys come together. That, that's what God wants us to do. That's what he'd love for us to do. Sure he does. But, of course, we get in the way. But, you know, that's what, the, you know, say what you want about the Muslims and, and Islam. Um, the, the the ones who are devout, man, their their faith and their walk with their God is better than 90% of Christians walk with our God, like with Christ and with Jesus. Well, um, I, I want to say something to our listeners, and you watch a lot of propaganda on TV, and you see movies. True. True Islam preaches peace. It does. I know this for a fact. It, it teaches peace. It doesn't. The jihadists, the, the terrorism, all that, that's the propaganda in the media, because when you are a terrorist— and you're using Islam as a crutch, obviously that's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, we we do it in America. Right. We we go one route and we're using something as a springboard for mm-hmm. our propaganda. Yep. But if you look at a true follower of the Quran of Islam, all they want is love and peace. Yeah. Just like a true Christian. So I heard a story the other day, and you're gonna love this. All right. One of our us, um, our our preachers at church. He's uh, Nathan Whitaker. He is our youth minister. Okay, amazing, amazing guy. And he teaches the youth. And he did a sermon the other day for our our church. Yeah. <clears throat> and in there, he says there's two types. There's a Christian, and then there's a follower of Christ. Right. He says Christians are equivalent to a fan who goes to a football game, who's got their nachos, who got their who has their favorite seat. Mm-hmm. They sit there. They watch the game. They've got their foamy hand, and they're screaming. That's a Christian. Right. They're sitting in their football pew. <clears throat> then there is a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. This is the one who shows up two hours early, mm-hmm. season tickets, mm-hmm. and knows every player. That's right. Knows their stats. That's right. That is a follower of Christ. That's a season ticket holder. Yeah. So Nathan says, in your walk with Christ, do you want to be a Christian? Uh-huh. Who shows up on Sundays, or as I like to call it, happy hour. Right. <laughs> you Pretty want, good. You want to show up for happy hour? Yeah. Or do you want to be a follower of Christ and have, be a season ticket holder right. for God? Yeah. And when I heard that analogy, I said, I want to be a season ticket holder. 100%. I want to know the names yeah. of everyone who I'm following. That's it. 
And yeah. I thought that was a great analogy. Dude, and I had that same conversation, man, with uh, some of the guys on the security team. We talked about, like, uh, you know, some scholars, they they guessed that the weight of the cross was 350 pounds or more. Oh, it was insane. So, you know, Jesus tells us to deny ourselves. So first of all, that, that, first, that verse when he says, deny yourself, right? Deny yourself. Like everything that you want, all your dreams, all your, all your aspirations for yourself that you want selfishly, deny all that. Correct. Right? Correct. Even, even, you can even toss in there addictions and, and financial stability, all that crap. Deny yourself. Take up your daily. Take, take up, up your cross. cross. All right. So let's just talk about the fact that the, the, the cross, the estimated was 350 pounds or more, right? So it could have been 400 pounds. True. You know, I don't know. Uh, when's the last time you've ever gone and pick up two six by sixes? Uh, and uh, you know, they also said that it potentially was twelve foot tall. They're so, not light. So imagine taking a six by six, a twelve foot six by six, and then adding a six foot six by six crossbeam on your back, correct, going uphill, uphill. After they beat the snot out of you. All right, beat the crap out of you. You know they hadn't fed them. You know they no hadn't food, given no them, water, no hydration, no right, that. right. So. So you're talking about like um you're talking about um being able to you know just daily just deny yourself and 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 what you want and 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 living that life and just being like okay uh am, am I willing to give up this stuff or am I willing to give up that and um compare it to what we're actually being asked to do you know uh us as as Christians um the the a walk with God isn't easy. It ain't easy, and it wasn't built that no, way. No, sir. And so I use that analogy of Jesus carrying the cross in the Bible verse where he tells us to deny ourselves and carry a cross. We use that analogy, and I'm telling you, like, hey, bro, uh, doing that is not easy. It's not going to be easy. So when you talk about the difference between a Christian right, and a follower of Christ, and a lot of people, they don't want to do that. That's too much work. That's too well, hard to do. Well, some Christians, I don't know what the percentage is, doesn't really matter. Some Christians check the box. My pastor's always saying, uh, Dr. Randy Helms, guy is on fire for God. He yeah. He's a season ticket holder. Nice. True story. Not because he's a pastor, All right. because he's on fire for God. Yeah. And he's always saying that, you know, when Christians, they'll, they'll check the box. I tithe. I sang. Right. Um, you know, I, I attended church. And then... They forget that church is also Wednesday night, that mm-hmm. we have church. Mm-hmm. We have church on Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. So it's not just on Sundays. Right. So did you check that box, but the rest of the week you're living in the world? Yeah. Well, I tell people, I, uh, you know, people believe church is that uh, those three songs and 45 minutes of a guy talking, <laughs> you think that's you think that's church. Yes, sir. But church is actually the other six days a week, and it's the hours after you leave the building. That's church. Churches where two or more are gathered. When you, when you guys go out and you're walking around um, and you're having these conversations. And the reason why I started this podcast is because, you know, guys like us will have that A-type personality. Talking about Jesus makes you vulnerable, right? And you don't want to be a punk. And you don't want to think that the things that you're doing could be seen as wrong, right? You think, you know, womanizing, out drinking and partying and stuff like that, you want it to be okay, right? And so guys who are in that world I mean, you know, this we're talking about top tier dudes. You're talking about dudes who wake up in the morning and uh they wanna they wanna they wanna fight, they wanna suffer uh for the betterment of themselves, right? They That's wake right. up, they wanna train, they wanna run, they wanna build, they wanna do this. And <laughs> 
they won't come to Christ because that one aspect of being compassionate, being sensitive to uh, to people who are in need, and being vulnerable, being able to go to God at face and say, "Listen, God, I ja- I'm j- I screwed up. I'm screwed up, Lord. I've I've messed up. Here's where I've messed up." And I think the biggest thing for a lot of us is when God pulls our punk card and says, "Look, bud, you suck at being a dad. You suck at being a husband. You suck at being a son." Right? That hurts because. If you tell me that the standard is 100 push-ups, I can go out there. I can do 50 push-ups a day every other hour for a couple of days. And guess what? Eventually, I'm going to be able to bang out 100 push-ups. But being a good dad, being a good father, being a good follower of Christ, that's daily. You don't, you don't, get, to, you don't get to just show up one day and be like, hey, I'm good. No, that's something that we have to strive for literally every single solitary day. We got to bang out the repetitions every single day. And for some of us, you know, some people who are uh, suffering from addiction and whether it's porn addiction or drug addiction or alcohol, you know, for them, it's hour on hour. You know, it's hour on hour. Uh, you know, for, they would love to not have to think about it for a whole day. You well, know? Think about this. I listen to a lot of, of uh, inspirational speaking, motiva- <coughs> motivational speaking, <clears throat> and you want prayer to be a habit. Right. So how do you make it a habit? Well, it's really simple. I'm glad you all asked. <laughs> to make it a habit is the first thing you do when you when you wake up in the morning mm-hmm. is pray. Mm-hmm. And it's real simple. You just say, God, it's Paul. How you doing? Thank you for another day of life. Amen. And that that can be that simple as your prayer right there. Yeah. And then you wake up, you put your feet on the floor. All right. God allowed it. Yep. He ordained your feet being on the floor. I just lost... A very good friend of mine a week ago. I'm sorry to hear um, that, man. 29 years old, the guy would love, he's he's with God right now. And he was just, he he glowed. His name was Jeffrey Gutierrez. And the uh, guy was amazing. Yeah. He truly was. And in the ICU room, he was brain dead. He stopped being Jeffrey a day and a half when he, when he got into the ICU. He was still holding church in his ICU room. When the amount of people that came in there and prayed and talked about God and talked about scripture and all these things, his stepdad got saved in that room. Wow. In that room. Dude. So Jeffrey was still holding church. And the reason why I bring this up is because it doesn't matter who you are. You can hold church. We are fans of everything in life. NASCAR, football, it doesn't matter. you know, I'm, I'm not knocking any of those things, but where's your walk? Where's your fanship when it comes to God? Yeah. So then when you're in a turmoil and then you start going to God, God wants to hear from you, but God is your father. Amen. So think about your child. Do you want your child only coming to you when things are great? Or do you want your child coming to you and say, daddy, I have a boo-boo. Bro. Daddy, this girl, this guy is messing with me. Dad, I have this problem. Yeah. That's what God wants from you. He wants you to say, there's no New King James version, these, thou's, all that stuff. God wants to hear from Paul and George saying, God, um, I screwed up today. Yeah. And I cussed. Whew. Or I stepped out. Or I did whatever. Yeah. God wants to know exactly verbatim what your sin is. Yeah. And then when you tell him, you say, listen, please forgive me and I'm sorry. And then, you know, just try not to because we're human and we're built on sin yeah. to do it again. Yeah. And you pass that 
that lineage on to every single person that you encounter. That's right. Yeah. That's funny, man. Cause, uh, so, uh, here, uh, our pastor, uh, pastor Matt and Brandon, they come up with the idea that I, I, I adopted immediately. I thought it was like the coolest thing and he calls it a 10, 10, 20. And that's, you know, 10 minutes of prayer, 10 minutes of reading scripture and 20 minutes of journaling, trying to understand what you've read. Right. 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 And you write it down. And so you can teach it to someone else That's apologetics. And, you know, some of, uh, some of my, you know, grunts and, uh, you know, like you said, knuckle draggers, those dudes, right. I'm like, bro, listen, calm down. Let's cut it in half. Give me five, five and 10. <laughs> After you get down five, five and 10, then we'll bump it up a notch. But, um, Starting that relationship, a lot of guys think they're like, you know, even on this podcast, you know, I think I asked some guys that they didn't think that they were worthy enough, right? And that um, happens. And it was because they, you know, they look at uh, what they were taught and they say, well, you know, talk. let's talk, for instance, discipleship and the Great Commission, right? You know, I grew up in Norway County. I went to a lot of churches here. And um, honestly, I never heard anyone speak about discipleship being an individual task. Right. I always assumed the Great Commission was just for the pastors. And I was, I, and when I was younger, bro, I was like, well, I don't plan on being a pastor. Well, I guess I don't need to make disciples. I don't need to do that. And I talked to people about Jesus, but that was about it. Hey, man, Jesus loves you. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross, John 3.16. And I went on about my business. Right. I, didn't, I didn't try to build relationships to build discipleship because I, I didn't know that was something that I had to, to do. But uh, just so y'all know, the Great Commission, which is a command or an order, right? So That's if, right. So if you want to talk about chains of command, you know, Jesus being the general and you being the sergeant, you know, Jesus gave you an order, and that order is to go forth, make disciples, baptize the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Uh, so we are afraid to take that first step, and it says simple as exactly what you just said. Make prayer a habit. And you might say, well, I don't, I don't really have a lot of stuff to pray about. Bullcrap. Let me tell you something. I just heard something this morning, <clears throat> and it said, God just doesn't want to hear about your major issues. He wants to hear that. True. God, I'm struggling with road rage. Uh huh. I'm driving to and from places, and I get angry. So my five year old's trip in the morning. Help me. Yeah. Yes, Lord. E- exactly. You yes, know, Lord. Hey, my wife's always telling me to do this, or God wants to hear the simplest because nothing is nothing's too great for God. So He wants to hear the simple aspects of your life because. It's an intimate relationship, and people and don't realize that. That people don't realize that. So imagine, imagine if you went to your wife once a week. Oh. <laughs> what if you try to make love to your wife, or try to? And I know some people are in that situation. I don't mean it like that. So let me say, let me say, not even, not just so much making love, but let's say you only have a conversation with your wife once a week, right? Or for some of us who only go to church on Easter and Christmas, imagine only having a conversation with your best friend, your brother, your wife twice a year. Great way to put it. What, are you serious? Great way to put it. You want to have a relationship with God, but you're like, you know what? I'll, just, I'll just talk to you once a day. Imagine talking. If I would have talked to my wife, if I just talked to my wife once a day, I would be eating ramen noodles in a cold bologna sandwich. <laughs> and uh, I, me and that me and that shed out back, I might be sleeping on that couch here in the podcast Watch office uh, if I only did that. So, you know, your relationship with Jesus, it can't be just like you said, just a complaint department. Um, he wants to hear your complaints, but... You've got to want to uh, have that relationship built on it, and I'll tell you what, man. You know, even even in, in the book of Job, when when God, uh, Love God, that book. God tells Job like, "Gird your loins and talk to me like a man." Right? Sometimes I, I try not to test God too much, too often. At uh, sometimes not at all, but 
bro, I'll get in my pickup truck driving somewhere and I'll let it out. I'll let it out. That's what God loves. I'll go to God's face and listen, man. If y'all, if you don't, if you don't, if you've never laid prostrate face down on the ground in your bedroom or in your closet, even in a yard, bro, I'm telling you, if as a man, especially as an A type guy, because we're full of pride, we're prideful. Prostrate laying down, right? Prostrate laying face down in the prone. Right. Go prone, to, out. <laughs> prone out and go to God. Put your hands above your head, lay face down in the dirt, and give it all to God. And it ain't got to be a show. No. no, no ain't nobody got to see that. He knows wanna, that. Go into your shed. You're right? Go into literally your closet. Close the door. Turn the light off. Lay face down. Go into the bathroom if you want to. Lay face down on that. You want to walk? You want to pull over the side of the road? Walk 15 I've yards? I've done that. 15 yards? Bro, me, you, me too. A hundred percent. I have been riding down the highway and be like, you know what? I'll pull over, go into the woods, and get on my knees and go to God and say, God, you know, because on top of your prayer relationship, um, I also think it's super important. And that's why I want you here. And that's why I want guys like Scott and Bryce and Irv and some of these other dudes and the people who are listening to this. You've got to have a fellowship. The church, okay, the church, not only is it, you know, like I said, people look at that building. They said the building's the church. No, you and I are the church. We Correct. are the church. And you need the church as a relationship with guys who are going to hold you accountable, right? keep you to a standard. So you've got that standard from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Then you also are trying to build that relationship with Christ. And I think that it can start with something as simple as prayer and supplication, reading the, reading the Bible, all right? And for some of y'all, you know, devotions are very simple things to start with, especially if you're new to the Bible. Get you the Bible app. Freaking open up. They got it's built in. It's too easy. Way too easy. Open it up. Start doing a devotional, right? If you have questions, make sure you have somebody that you can uh, go to. Um, at the minimum, you can Google stuff. You can go on YouTube. If you're having a problem with it, call, you know, if you go into a church, trust me, uh, there's teachers at the church you can pull to the side and says, Hey man, what was what was Abraham and Isaac doing? What is all that about? You know or, what? Um, I was told one time to <clears throat> allow the door to be open to talk about Christ. And I said, no, you're wrong. I'm not going to say who said it. doesn't matter. <laughs> but I said, I beg to differ. I said, you build the door and then you breach it. That's it. And then you talk about God. So then something recently came up when a good friend of mine who I trust says, maybe at that point right there, they weren't ready to hear about the boldness. In First Thessalonians with Paul, it talks about his boldness. But it also talks about gentleness and meekness. And the Bible meekness is humbleness. It's not about weak. Amen. And so me, being my name, Paul, I'm very, very bold. And I'm not a Bible thumper. It's it's not about that. It's I come at people, so we use the term in the military, and you know this, dumb it down. Yep. So I, I, I dumb it down. I'm like, listen, this is what happened to me. And I was jacked up like Paul. You know, I, I didn't persecute Christians, but I was jacked up and I didn't follow God the way I should have been following him. And so when I tell people what I've been through, it's almost identical of what they've done. Mm-hmm. But then you let them know that, hey, listen, um, God loves you. Mm-hmm. He loves you so much. It's not just about he gave his son for your sins. He loves you so much that he's willing to wait for you. Yeah. And to and to love on you and say, Hey Paul, I haven't seen you in a while. God will get your attention. Oh yeah. If he, he will. hasn't heard from you, yeah, he will. Like your wife, like your children. Mm-hmm. 
they'll get your attention in way he gets your attention, you're not going to like it. No. And let no, me say it again. Most of the time, no. You're not going to like the way he gets your attention. No. There's a book out there called The Shack. Yeah. Great book. They just made a movie of it. Read it. Watch the movie, whatever. God got his attention. So what I like doing is when I go out to I've, – I've held church in the Isle of Lowe's before. Yeah. I've held church everywhere because I love talking about God. It's my favorite subject. Yeah. And – it's as simple as someone's walking past you and you say hello. That's it. Just That's say it. hey. And they say hey back. And you say, hey, um, you know, it's a great day. And they're like, yeah, it's it's okay. That is your <coughs> that is your in to say, yeah. is everything okay? Is there something I could pray for you about? Now, a lot of people, the majority, will not come up to a perfect stranger and say, Is there something I can pray for you about? And they won't do it. Yeah, they're not gonna start spilling the beans. But or if you just say amen to something, you know, yeah. hey, this paint's on sale. Amen to that. Yeah. And they're like, ooh, and they hear amen. Yeah. That's an opening. Yeah. Yeah. So what I always like is so exact same thing, man. I think about building relationships and looking for connections. Yes. And you don't realize how much a connection you have with someone. Uh, we were talking, I was talking to uh, Pastor Brandon, who happened to have uh, a couple of tattoos. And I've got a tattoo. I've got a, I've got a. Curious George, tactical Curious George that everybody loves, um, with my name happen to be George. Uh, and um, people will compliment, you know, tattoos. And, or, you know, when you see a person with a tattoo, and this is what he was saying, and I, and I agreed with him. You know, you see someone with a tattoo, hey, man, nice tattoo. You start talking about it. I was like, yeah, man, uh, we've got a guy here at the church, at my church, who likes to do tattoos. When people hear that kind of stuff, and they know they got a connection. That's a seed. Right, and when you build that relationship, just like any plant, you water it, give it sunshine, which is love and joy. Correct, and you feed it; it turns into a plant. Well, that plant is going to render fruit, right? And the Bible tells us that we're judged on how the good fruit that we bear. Correct. Right? So, when you have this relationship, and you build this relationship. Listen, guys, you don't have to start screaming at someone in the lows aisle and say, "Oh, you're going to go to hell because of Yo, this, that, and the other." You don't have to do that. People. That's how you lose people. Uh, you just start with. Hey, bro, you know, nice tattoo. Oh, you were, for me, man, it's always veteran and law enforcement guys and first right, responders. Right. That's the first thing. I'm like, hey, bro, you, you're you a veteran? Oh, that's cool, dude. We got a great veterans uh, uh, group at my church, man. And, oh, for real, you go to church? Yeah, man, I'd love to have you, dude. We got a lot of guys like you, man. And you start talking about maybe shooting guns great together, opening, yes. going out, going fishing together, that kind of crap. And, uh, you know, that brings people in. You know, the funny thing is the guys, uh, I used to do, run a um, – a uh, post-traumatic stress counseling here, uh, faith-based called Re- Reboot, which is a great program. And um, I, some of the guys who were on the podcast, that's where I met them. They came to the church right. through the Reboot program, and we just started talking. And once they realized they were like-minded people, now you can take that and you can talk about knitting. If you were into knitting and you see another person who might be in the knitting and you start that connection – Right, and you start building that relationship. Say, hey, well, let me get your text message, man. Let me text you some stuff. Or you got a Facebook? Hit them up on that Facebook, and just start, you know, building that relationship. At the same time, when we project the love of Christ, right, and when we project, and we're the hands and feet of Jesus, and we do that kind of stuff, people notice. You know, true. They see they notice it. that more, and they also notice when you mess up. Well, true. So you got to keep your that's walk true. right. And that's why it's important to have people who hold you accountable, bros right. that you trust and that you love, or sisters that you trust and you love that'll come to you and say, hey, man. And I think that uh, for guys like you and I, that's super important. It is. And, and that's what you know I love about this podcast is it reaches a lot of guys who have the same mindset 
who had felt like, honestly, I felt like the church abandoned us because no one wants to talk about the guys who, you know, the name of the podcast is Violence of Jesus. And a lot of people look at that and they say, well, those two things don't go together. That's perfect. Yes, it does. And it's like, well, listen, man, there's guys out there right now who are, uh, they're inflicting violence on bad people in a good name. They're trying to do their job, right? And at the same time, they're struggling with a relationship with Christ because they can't justify what they're doing. Or they can't justify their lifestyle or they uh, have put it on the back burner for so long they think that Jesus has forgot about me or, you know, I'll pick it up when it's whenever I, I can or or there's a million different reasons. And being able to have a place and a group of guys you could talk to and be like, listen, man, um, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a dirtbag. I'm a knuckle dragger. I'm I'm crass. I'm blunt. Got to be real. I'm blunt. Got to be real. Uh, I'm a butthole sometimes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Please help me. And you know, there's a lot of guys like Danny, man, and uh, some of these other dudes that Bryce. Uh, we lean on each other so hard, and uh, it, there's other men that in, in the faith, and it just you find somebody attached to them. Um, you know, I one of the things, the biggest things I learned in the walk with Christ is that a mentor. Could be younger than you. True story. Could be the same age as you. Could be light years older than you. Could be you know doing something totally different than you. And you look at them and you say, "Listen, I want to emulate what you're doing." Um, you know, and you start talking to them, and they start teaching you about their faith and their walk with Christ, and you trying to emulate that. Uh, it's 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 it helps, and I'll tell you what, it's it's not going to be easy if you open up. You have an open mind, first off. If you have an open mind, yeah. what you said earlier, you know, you can learn a lesson from a nine-year-old child. Yep. And most of the time, you learn stuff from younger kids. That's a fact. But you have to be open-minded that you don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Now I'm 54 years old. You ain't going to teach me. If you think that you're not going to be taught, mm-hmm. then you should go and jump in the coffin right now because you're dead. Yeah. There's a thing I posted a while ago on Facebook, and it's funny, and it's a meme, and it says... Oh, you want to be my friend on Facebook? And then the second meme says, get prepared to hear about Jesus. <laughs> True. Because my True. my Facebook page, if anyone's ever been on it, they see it's all inspirational and it's everything about God. Yeah. And it's how God is going to help you. There's a thing I, I saw the other day and I love it. And it says, when you pray, and I want y'all to listen to this. So when you pray, God hears you. It's called a God wink. God sends butterflies, warm breezes, anything good. God is listening to your prayer. Now, in the same essence, God is waiting for you to be ready for your prayer. Mm-hmm. He's working on you for your prayer. That's right. So let's say you're interested in a young lady, young man, whatever the case may be, and you're saying, God, I want this person in my life. God, I need this job. God, uh, my bills are jacked up. I need these things. God's like, okay, Paul, I heard you. Now let me get the parts in place so I can help you. And in turn, you can glorify me and my kingdom. Amen. But I heard you. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to work to get pieces in place. So everything works for the good of God. That's right. And I love when I heard that, I was like, I prayed. And now God's working on me for my prayer. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, that is. That's, that is. I think in for for a lot of you guys, uh, 
some of you are afraid to step out because you're afraid of what other people are going to think. And I, and I get that. I understand. Um, trust me. And somebody said something years ago about uh, hypocrites and they said, you know, uh, you know, the, <laughs> Christians are hypocrites. So there's a lot of hypocrites in the church, and you tell them like, "Hey, there's always room for one more." There's always room for one Come more. Come on, buddy. I tell people this: <clears throat> Have you ever gone to the doctor just say hi? Yeah, true. No, no. Yeah, doc, I'm going to give you three hundred dollars. I just want to shake your hand and say hello and ask you how you're doing. Yeah. No, you go because you're sick. Yeah. So when you show up in church, it's because you're sick because you're yeah. a sinner. Yeah. So there are tons and tons of hypocrites in church. Hundred percent. Yes. Yep. That's why we go to church to be around like-minded individuals, yeah. like you said. To keep us accountable, say, hey, listen, Paul, I saw you the other day at the gas pump, and you were cussing some guy out because he was taking his time. Um, and then what happens is the Holy Spirit convicts you mm-hmm. and says, hey, um, you probably shouldn't have did that. If you have empathy in your heart, mm-hmm. you will allow that to seep in and say, you know what? I messed up. Self-check. Right. I messed up. I shouldn't have cussed that yeah. guy out. And at that moment— you have the opportunity. I said this the other day in Bible study. You have the opportunity at that moment to make that other person have an awesome day, yeah, or to carry on the hypocrisy and to carry on the grudge of meeting you, mm-hmm. a Christian, mm-hmm. supposed to be a season ticket holder. That's it. Now they're like, your walk's all jacked up. Yep. And my goal every single day, my goal is to inspire someone to be inspired. Uh-huh. My goal is to say, hey, you're going through something bad right now, but God hears you. Mm-hmm. And how can I make you, how can I help you to have a better day? Because, and it's the truth is that, you know, and we can't let our brothers and sisters, you know, just do those types of things. And here's why. No. Because when you're trying to make a disciple, what is the first thing someone is going to say? They're going to say, well, uh, I saw Paul over there. He was cussing somebody out. He's supposed to be a Christian. You want me to be like him? Exactly. And it's like, whoa, okay, well. And then you want to be able to look at that person and say, well, yeah, Paul made a mistake. And then Paul turned around and he apologized. And he told someone he was sorry and that he shouldn't have. That's what you That's should project right. to the people. That's what they should see. They should see, well, one, he's still human. He messed up. But he did the Christian thing, which was apologize to somebody. And I'm going to tell you guys right now, the first thing that's going to happen when you decide to live for Christ is people are going to laugh at you. People are going to, you know, they're going to say, they're going to say, that's not you, man. I know the old George, bro. I know what you used to do. They want that guy back Mm because he's the fun guy. Fun guy, right? He was the one who was uh, justifying all the negative things they were doing because you were also doing all the negative things. And so once you start turning from that, especially if you have a good relationship with that, what happens is they start turning inwards and they start looking at themselves and because they hate what they're doing, they'll turn that hate on you Preach. and say, because Preach. you're no longer doing that, it makes me look at myself negatively. So now I'm mad. So what are they going to do? And that's where the seed is planted. Yeah. Your walk is where the seed is planted. I got a really fast story. So this lady on 707 one day cuts me off. <laughs> yeah. Cuts me off, starts screaming at me. She cut me off. Good old 707. Yeah, so 707 coming up on 31. She cuts me off. So we get to the light. And she pulls up next to me. You know when people cuss you, but they want to be half the car length behind you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So what I did is I slowed up immediately to let her. She had no choice but to pull up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she pulls up, and she wouldn't look at me. Yeah. So I rolled my window down because she told me I was number one. Yeah, yeah. And I rolled my window down. So she was reluctant, but she rolled her window down and she thought I was going to cuss her. Uh-huh. And this is a true story. 
So what I said was, ma'am, whatever I did, I'm sorry. I said, please forgive me. Wow. This lady melted in her seat. But what I did was when she drove off, showed her Uh empathy, compassion, and she doesn't know me. Nope. But she knew even though she cussed me off and even though she cut me off, Mm -hmm. I apologized to her. Now, some of you listening and go, I couldn't do that. Well, isn't that exactly what you're doing every single day when you mess up and you're saying, God, I'm sorry. Mm, amen. When you throw, when you tell, every time you do something deliberate in sin, you're telling God he's number one. Yep, that's it. And then God says, he rolls his window down and he says, I love you and I forgive you. Mm-hmm. Amen. Wow. Yeah. Come on now. That's the truth. <laughs> that's the truth, bro. That's the truth. That's a fact. That's a fact, man. And 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 I think that's probably that's probably the hardest the hardest thing for a lot of us, especially veterans, man. We do things like you know, yes, drink and party is a way that we uh, communicate in fellowship, yeah. And so when you do that, be people tie those things to their personality. So when you attack those things, they feel you're attacking them personally. That's right. And it's like, nah, man, I just I just quit. You know, I don't do that anymore because I want to set an example, you know. Um, I've got kids to, I got kids that I got that, that I've got to raise. I've got a, a wife that I've got to be a good husband to. And, and because now I'm walking this faith, I've got 2000 plus years of, of lineage that I've got to hold up and Amen. I've got to hold a standard for. And I got to say, listen, guys, every time I do something in front of someone, it potentially could destroy their walk with God. Makes or breaks. Makes Absolutely or breaks. correct. Yeah. You want to live in such a way. And I just posted this on my page. You can go check it out. Everything's on my page, Paul Yurkin. And that's with a Y, Y U R K I N. Yeah, that's a, that's another story. <laughs> <clears throat> and it talks about you want to live your life in such a way, not just in a Christian life, yeah, but in a, in a good life. Yeah. You want to live it in such a way that if someone tries to wreck your character, yeah. everyone else will dispute that because they know your character. Yeah, yeah. So you want to live, and when someone says, you know, Paul's a jerk. You want your people that know you to say, mm-hmm. Paul Yurkin, are you serious? Yeah. Do you, do you really know this guy? Yeah. He's a jerk. Yeah. No, you don't know this guy. No, you must not know him. You That's the life and the character and the lineage that you want to leave behind. So when people are talking at your funeral, you can still save people at your funeral. Yeah. Jeff Gutierrez, he died in a hospital bed in an ICU and his father, his stepdad, came to Christ and we had so much church and so much Holy spirit in that room. Jeffrey was still working. He was brain dead, ladies and gentlemen, and he was still bringing people to Christ. So what are you doing on a daily basis? That's right, man. What are you doing? That's right. It's a call to action, my man. Amen. Hey, get up and do something. Get up. Hey, uh, let's see, Isaiah 6, 8, here I am, send me. Send me, yeah. Send me. Yeah, I've actually got if that. If not who, then when? Or who? I've got that tattooed on my arm. That's pretty good. Uh, well, so real quick before we show up, because we got uh, running out of time. Right. Uh, you've got a book, Memoirs of a Security Contractor. Yes, sir. Where you talk about uh, living in that life and doing things. Uh, it's from middle school all through Afghanistan. Okay. <laughs> yes, sir. Where can they? Where can we get this book at, man? Get it on Amazon. I have actually books on me. Nice. I have. I have a bunch of books that I have when I was doing uh, book tours. Yeah. So I still have a bunch on me, and uh, you can get it. You can uh, message me on uh, on the page, Memoirs of a Security Contractor, or you can hit me up on my personal page, 
and or you can contact George. And uh, I have yep. those. It's uh, um, the book did very very well on Amazon. It's got uh, four and a half stars, and I'm really nice. you know to God be all the glory. Amen. You know, it truly is. It's Amen. all it's all God, and uh, I take zero credit for it. I did type it, yeah. but God saw me through the blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, who'd you upset with four and a half stars? Who'd you make mad? <laughs> well, believe it or not, and I'm glad you asked that because I, I want to talk about the bad. Yeah, this one guy said um, yeah. he gave me a half star. He said that I was pompous, I was um, <laughs> conceited, and all I want to do was talk about myself and wrote a book to talk about myself. Okay, and he says the book was terrible. All right, awesome. Well, you can't Roger win them that, all. man. You, you Thank you. Them all. You can't win them all. <laughs> you can't win them all. Yeah. That's kind of uh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like uh, you know, like Disney World. I mean, Disney World. I was looking for his book, but I couldn't find it. <laughs> oh, oh, hey, boom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's always that's always the case. That's always the case. Uh, well, anyways, man, I appreciate your time, dude. I appreciate you coming in. Thank you for your service. Honored, and you. Thank you thank for you. the the work you're doing for the Lord and Amen, for uh, uh, the work you did for the community, man. And uh, I'm really happy, and I love meeting dudes like you because it gives me um faith it gives me faith for the future of the the faith and for young men because uh when i was a young guy um you know uh coaches and veterans um you know some people look up to business guys i get it some guys look up to musicians and stuff i get it but the types of dudes that i look up to were guys like you guys like uh you know uh uh guys who were coaches and 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 just Dudes who I know had a lot of experience with life, and uh, they weren't uh, pretty little things that were raised under a uh, you know a kind, beautiful gesture, true, true. and they were rough around the edges, and they found God through uh, some things. So, thank you for being a um, just a good man. You know, there's a lot. Of, there's not a lot of good men in the world today, and uh, it's really we need more. We need more. We need more. And I think uh, you know setting the example. Is a, is, a, is a awesome start, man. I got to give a quick shout out if you don't mind. Go uh, ahead, real quick. Yeah, bro. Um, I formed a five hundred one. 3C, it's um, Veterans Victory Walk. It's on Facebook. Nice. Veterans Victory Walk. And basically what we do is every other year we walk from Myrtle Beach to Patriots Point. Yeah. Raise awareness for veterans, for veteran suicide. Um, we handle paperwork. We have money to help out veterans. Um, it's coming up this November 11th. We're walking back to Patriots Point. If you want to know more, hit me up on Veterans Victory Walk on Facebook or instant message me. Nice. Nice. How long? How, how far is that? How many miles? Well, this this year we're going eighty nine point four miles. Nice. Our first year we went ninety seven point three. Yeah, you gonna run the whole way? We walk. <laughs> we walk. It's yeah. a we walk. We have ten uh, rest stops. We don't sleep overnight. We have a uh, Carolina RV provides this huge RV. We have uh, support vehicles. Yeah. If you need to sleep, um, but we walk straight through. Nice. That's awesome. Yes, sir. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. All right, man. Well, I'm gonna leave us out here with some prayer before we leave. You cool? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, brother. Let's go. Let me take my hat off. I'm still one of those guys. I like to take my hat off. Yes, sir. Amen. <laughs> God, we just want to say thank you so much, God, for uh, everything you've given us, Lord. The ability to sit here and and, and to praise your name and yes. to talk about uh, your gifts, Lord. And uh, I just want to say thank you for people like Paul, men like that, that thank you've you, uh, put in my life and the lives of others, Lord, to emulate um, your son and Amen. to show us what what we what we should be or what we should try to be, God. And Lord, thank you so much for the times you've listened to us uh, cry and, and uh, you know, just ugly cry and just to pour out all our problems, God. Thank you for being there yes, for us Lord. and to listen. 
Lord, uh, we know that uh, you have a plan for us, God, and we, we look forward to you um, leading us through that, God. And uh, Lord, we ask you that you give us the peace and the perseverance to be able to handle when it's rough and the, the highs, yes, the, the, the mountaintops and the valleys, God, because we know that you're going to carry us. Amen. Lord, we ask all this in your holy name. Amen. Amen.